Well, good evening, church family, those of you here and those of you watching online. Well, unless you've been living in a cave recently, you're no doubt aware that we are entering the home stretch of yet another midterm election cycle. And in the midst of this political season, we'll soon be bombarded with ads from candidates seeking election to many different government leadership offices. Uh, some of these ads will be pretty vanilla, introducing us to personal details about the candidate's family and background. Others will be predictable attack ads, demonizing the opposition candidate and unfairly casting him or her in the worst possible light. But many of these ads will highlight all manner of political promises. If you support me in the upcoming election, together we'll yada, yada, yada. Promises, promises. Prospective leaders from all sides of the political spectrum telling us what they think we want to hear. Promises like, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Or how about this one? We're going to build a wall on the southern border, and Mexico's going to pay for it. Or this one from a couple of years ago. I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. Seems like we're still working out the details on some of those. Well, like most politicians, Jesus spoke to a lot of crowds. But he probably wouldn't make a very good political candidate. Because Jesus had this unfailing habit of truthfully telling people what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. And our text today is a perfect example of this. For it includes what could rightly be viewed as a promise, a promise that none of us wants to hear. That promise is found in John's Gospel, the very end of the 16th chapter in verse 33. If you have your Bible with you, you could turn there with me. There the apostle says this, I have said these things to you, these are the words of Jesus, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Would you repeat that with me? In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. The occasion for this statement was the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. He had just finished his last supper with his disciples. And in the process, he had called out his betrayer, Judas Iscariot. What you are going to do, do quickly, he said. Whereupon Judas immediately had left the upper room. From that point on, starting in John chapter 13, 31, all the way chapters through chapters 14, 15, and 16, we find Jesus trying to prepare his disciples for the events shortly to follow, his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection, and prepare them for life without him. Bible scholars refer to these three-plus chapters as Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. He bared his soul to them. He told them of the traumatic events about to happen. Jesus told his disciples everything he knew they needed to hear. And as he came to the conclusion of this long discourse, he made his disciples this promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, throughout our He Said What sermon series, we've seen that some of Jesus' most difficult statements have, at first glance, seemed unclear. They're, they're, they're a little fuzzy. Statements like, let the dead bury their own dead, that, that Pastor Ross spoke on last week. Statements that beg further in, uh, explanation. But today's study is a little different. For Jesus' tough words from our text today are quite clear and unambiguous. In the world, you will have tribulation. In essence, suffering and pain will be your lot, your life experience in this world, the Savior was saying. Any of you have that promise taped up on your mirror or refrigerator at home? You see, today it's not our trouble understanding Jesus' word, the words that causes us to say, he said, what? Rather, it's the implications of those words. So as we discuss together the biblical implications of pain and suffering in our world, the big idea we'll consider today is this. Tribulation is an inescapable part of living in a fallen world. Whether I overcome tribulation or am overwhelmed by it will be determined by my ability to anchor my life in Jesus. The title of today's message is Finding Peace Even in the Pain. Would you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Father, tonight, no one listening in this room, no one listening online needs to hear my words. They need to hear your word. And so, Lord, would you graciously use me to communicate your words to your people? And, Lord, would you graciously touch them, touch their hearts to receive only what comes from you, and to let it find fertile ground there in their hearts. We ask both of these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say it. Amen. 
Well, unless you have some gray hair on your head, you may not recall this classic movie scene. Then again, maybe some of our younger folks have had the occasion to watch a movie marathon of the 16 or so Rocky Balboa films, and you have actually seen the third installment of that famous movie franchise. And if you have seen Rocky III, you'll recall that a wealthy and comfortable heavyweight champion, Rocky Balboa, was goaded into boxing a street-hardened and seemingly unbeatable foe named Clubber Lang. In the movie, Clubber, played by the bling-encrusted and muscle-bound Mr. T, had no respect whatsoever for the seemingly soft and washed-up Italian stallion, Rocky Balboa. And in one of my favorite scenes from the movie, Clubber was asked by a reporter to predict the outcome of his upcoming heavyweight fight with Rocky. Well, glaring into the TV camera, Clubber, an angry man of few words, memorably replied, prediction, pain. Somehow having an old white-haired white guy doing Mr. T <laughs> loses something in translation, doesn't it? <laughs> Ross, next time you do Mr. T. <laughs> Listen, prediction, pain. <laughs> well, centuries earlier, Jesus had offered a similar prediction to his disciples. Absent Mr. T's intimidating glare, of course. The occasion was just before his arrest on the night he was betrayed, as we say in our celebration of communion. In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus had told them. Now, tribulation is one of those biblical words we don't use every day. Elsewhere in Scripture, that same Greek word is rendered affliction, trouble, oppression, or even anguish as in the anguish of a woman in labor. Essentially, tribulation is a broad word that speaks of pain and suffering. And notice that Jesus didn't say you could have tribulation or you might have tribulation. In the world, he said you will have tribulation. The, rea the reality of pain and suffering in a world created by an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God has been the source of questions and confusion for men and women throughout the ages, including Christian men and women. What does the Bible say about this matter? And how are we apl to apply those truths to the trials and hardships we face in life? Of course, in a single message, we can't possibly begin to cover all that the Bible says about a topic like human suffering or tribulation. But it is my hope that we can at least lay a foundation of understanding that might help some of us as we're going through these painful experiences. Help us to find new measures of God's peace, even in the pain. 
Well, that said, before we examine what the Bible says on this topic, I think it would be helpful for us to start by looking at some of the things the Bible doesn't say about the experience of pain and suffering in this world. First, the message of the Bible doesn't support the claim of the atheist that the very existence of pain and suffering on the earth itself disproves the existence of a loving and transcendent God. In the atheist worldview, it seems we're all left to fend for ourselves in a dog-eat-dog world. It's as if every one of us is a reality TV character in Survivor Planet Earth. But the scriptures don't support that view. Instead, they paint a very different picture. Well, the Bible speaks of men and women as the very pinnacle of God's creation, created for life in an idyllic world without suffering. However, as the image bearers of their creator, our earliest ancestors were also created with the incredible blessing of a free will. That is a capacity to choose love or hate, to choose good or to choose evil. Tragically, they chose the latter, imagining they could be their own gods. And in taking the path of independence and rebellion against God, the Bible calls that sin, these ancestors experienced a tragic fall from grace, one that opened the door for pain, hardship, and death to enter the natural experience of life on planet Earth. And so to the atheists, the scriptures would say that the presence of pain and suffering doesn't deny the existence of a loving God. On the contrary, the, script, the scriptures speak clearly that the world's tribulation only highlights the world's need for the kind of Savior only a loving God could and would provide. In addition to the atheists, the message of the Bible counters the claim of the religionist who attributes virtually all suffering to God, seeing it as deserved as divine punishment for some personal human error. In the Bible, we see Jesus confronting that wrong-headed attitude in his dealings with the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day. And we also find that Jesus spent so much of his earthly ministry fighting sickness and despair, certainly not causing them. But nowhere in the scriptures is this thinking more powerfully refuted than in the Old Testament book of Job. His story makes clear that perhaps no one ever deserved to suffer less. And yet, perhaps... Few have ever suffered more. And absent any observable cause for Job's terrible hardships, his three friends essentially landed on this piece of advice. Job, you must have done something terrible to deserve God's punishment. Why don't you just admit it? Well, Job's friends have rightly become universal examples of how not to comfort the afflicted. And we too should be careful to steer clear of the religionists who point, who point their fingers at God as the source of human suffering. 
The last of the unbiblical ideas about pain and suffering we'll consider today is a misguided notion that has taken root in some parts of the church in America, including some elements of our Christian media. This misguided theology goes by various names. The health and wealth gospel. Name it and claim it Christianity. It presumes that a godly Christian can virtually banish suffering and tribulation from his or her life, in effect reimagining Jesus' words about tribulation as if to say, in the world you will have prosperity. This theology must seem so silly to believers in so many parts of our world who regularly suffer persecution merely because they dare to name the name of Jesus. Reputable Christian organizations who study these things tell us that right now, as we speak, an average of 16 people per day are martyred for their Christian faith. Beyond that, one in seven Christians around the globe today regularly suffer persecution. And I'm not, not talking about enduring the cashiers at Walmart who refuse to say Merry Christmas during the holidays. Talking about real persecution. Try telling these believers that they should expect health and wealth as a Christian or that prosperity rather than persecution is a true sign of genuine faith. Church, we believe in a God who answers prayer. Prayer for healing. Prayer for blessing. Prayer for divine intervention and deliverance. God is always good, as we sang earlier. And he knows my story from beginning to the end. And maybe that's why his answers don't always look like my prayer requests. Brothers and sisters, God will never be reduced to being my genie in a bottle, dutifully granting my wishes for health, wealth, and prosperity. And that's true even if celebrity pastor, brother so-and-so, lays his hands on my prayer card. We could say much more here, but we do need to move on. One more thing here. Family, if your pastor is robbed of $1 million worth of jewelry on his person as he's preaching, as recently happened in a major city here, then your church certainly has a security problem but it has an even bigger theology problem because you're not listening to the Savior who said we need to lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, Matthew 6:19. Well, knowing what the Bible doesn't say about our experience of tribulation is helpful, but let's take the time we have remaining to better understand what the Bible does say. In doing so, let me briefly mention four important principles that I trust 
can help us find peace even in the pain. First, it's drawn straight from the promise in our text today. We've mentioned it. Jesus said we could count on this. Number one, the experience of pain and suffering is an inescapable part of life on this planet. On this side of glory, the experience of tribulation is inevitable for every man, woman, and child. Lest we overlook the obvious, bears mention that in until Jesus comes again, the, the death rate for believers and non-believers at like is in fact identical, 100%. As our pastor emeritus, Rock Dilliman, likes to remind us, we always do well to remember this life is the hard life. Pain and suffering, hardship and trial will touch us all. The second principle follows as an uncomfortable extension of the first, especially for Jesus' followers. For while suffering is a shared human experience, unlike non-believers, number two, Christians can expect tribulation from persecution and as we live out our calling to help others. Believers will face hardships that others won't have to bear. Of course, we've already spoken about the first dynamic of persecution. Jesus had warned his disciples earlier in the, his farewell discourse, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You'll recall I mentioned earlier one in seven believers around the globe, church, 360 million of your brothers and sisters in Christ experience the pain of persecution on a regular basis. But the second dynamic, that reality of tribulation stemming from a supernatural drawing to help relieve the pain of others, that one may be a little bit less obvious. Let me use the example of our Christian partners at Bongalo Hospital to help illustrate the point. The missionary doctors and surgeons there, serving there in Gabon, Central Africa, could all live more affluent and less stressful lives by choosing to practice their profession here in the United States. They're all qualified to do so. But in answering God's call to relieve the suffering of underserved people in the rainforest of Gabon, they have willingly accepted the various hardships that that life entails. Of course, that includes many physical hardships that attend the, the harshness and poverty of their surroundings, but it also includes the emotional hardships, including loneliness and long-term separation from family. But beyond these matters, con consider this. On a visit to Bongalo a few years ago, I asked one of our missionary doctors, a female OBGYN doctor, what the hardest part was of her life there. She replied, she started to weep. In the state, she said, with a high level of prenatal care and the medical services we can offer, I might lose one patient a year. In Gabon, people only come to the hospital when they are desperate. 
and I probably see a mother or child die once a week. The heaviness of being surrounded by death, preventable death, never leaves me. Christian, if you think that following Jesus is the ticket to a trouble-free life, the Bible has bad news for you. But let's continue on. The great Christian author C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Our third biblical principle builds on this insight. Number three, tribulation frees our hearts to long for heaven. It's God's megaphone that calls our hearts to a better place. Another writer has wisely observed, there's a reason we send chaplains to hospitals but not cocktail parties. Unlike our pleasures, pain gets our attention. It shakes us into the realization that something is desperately wrong on our planet. And in the process, it serves to turn the affections of our hearts heavenward. For I consider, said the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Romans chapter 8. Following the tragic death of his five-year-old daughter, Christian songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote these touching lyrics in a song entitled, Heaven is the Face. Heaven is the face of a little girl with dark brown eyes that disappear when she smiles. Heaven is the place where she calls my name. Says, Daddy, please come play with me for a while. Thoughts of heaven became much sweeter to the grieving Chapman as he imagined a reunion there with his daughter that one day will occur. Pain and suffering is indeed God's megaphone that God uses to draw our hearts heavenward. Which brings us to the fourth and final principle we'll discuss today in our effort to plumb the teachings of the Bible for wisdom concerning the reality of tribulation. Our final principle is simply this. Today, divine resources are available in, in Jesus to help believers overcome tribulation. Listen once again to the words of Jesus from our text, would you? I have said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, we spent our time today looking at Jesus' promise of tribulation. But he was saying more than that here, wasn't he? 
For he prefaced that promise with these words, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, as a recovering CPA, I'd like to give a shout out to all the math nerds here. By picturing Jesus' statement from our text today as an algebraic equation. And when I do, it looks something like this. In the world, tribulation. In me, in Jesus, peace. In the world, tribulation. In Jesus, peace. Jesus was reminding his followers that these two, pain and peace, can walk side by side. In Jesus, we need not be overwhelmed by the hardships this world will bring. In him, we too can overcome the world. Well, how is this even possible, you might say? Well, first, can we just acknowledge that it may be possible, but rarely is it easy. Jesus' prayer in the garden should tell us that much. As he anticipated the tribulation of the cross, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus endured. We can also look to the example of the Apostle Paul, who though he had been used by God to heal many, found himself pleading with God to remove what was apparently a physical ailment he described only as a thorn in the flesh. Three times Paul prayed that God would remove the thorn only to hear the Lord say, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul had to continue to endure the pain, for the thorn was still there. And yet he could write this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Pain and peace walking side by side. So what is possible will rarely be easy, but that must not deter us in the the journey as we walk through tribulation. For we can't allow Jesus' words from the first half of that text to fail to grab our attention too. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What things had Jesus said that possessed such power to bring peace in the face of tribulation? Well, brothers and sisters, the Gospels are filled with life-giving words from Jesus that can be a divine resource in our darkest times. In his farewell discourse alone, John's 13 through 16, those chapters, Jesus has spoken words that point us to heaven, our blessed hope for all eternity. He had spoken words of a promised helper, the Holy Spirit, who can bring comfort and counsel in the face of tribulation. But if you take all the life-giving words of Jesus and condense them into the smallest possible package that any of us could carry with us as we face the trials of life, 
I believe that package is found right here in our text. That in me you may have peace. That's the package. Beloved, we'll have no greater resource to face life's trials than to anchor every part of who we are in him, in Jesus. In learning to greet each new day in Jesus. And to lie down at night in Jesus. To walk and to talk in Jesus. And to live every moment in Jesus. To celebrate each blessing in Jesus. And to grieve every loss in Jesus. To stop the lies of the enemy in Jesus. And to confront the powers of hell in Jesus. To care lovingly for others in Jesus. Until life's final breath in Jesus. In Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me close with this observation. Even as the tribulations of the world set upon us, in Jesus, the peace of Christ can settle in us. It won't be easy. But pain and peace can walk together. For in Jesus, we can find peace even in the pain. Before we leave here tonight, I realize that maybe for many of you, the reality of tribulation is very real in this moment. I've spoken to some recently who are in a very dark place, grieving the loss of a loved one. Others who are facing trials as they deal with various physical ailments. People who grieve over fractured relationships and others whose situation at work or maybe in their finances could rightly be described as tribulation. Parents suffering as they watch their kids go astray and children struggling to find their place and purpose in the world. If today you are experiencing tribulation, the experience of pain and suffering is an all-too part of your present life experience, would you give me the opportunity to pray with you? That describes you today and you're able, can, can I just ask you to please stand where you are at your seat? And I want to ask you just to erect an altar there, right where you're standing. As I lead us in prayer, would you join your hearts with mine, brothers and sisters? Father, as I look out and I see the men and women standing in this room, Lord, I just want to bring us together before the throne of grace and ask, God, that you would deal graciously with each one. Father, would you bring relief to whatever that point of pain and suffering is in their lives? 
be it the loss of a loved one or a physical ailment, be it any of the things we've mentioned, Lord, our prayer is that you would bring relief to that point of pain. Yet, Lord, we know that often this experience calls for a, a season of endurance. For the answer to those prayers might be not yet, or the answer to those prayers might even be like the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. So, Lord, for each one in that season, would you help them to find your peace that they can walk in in the midst of the pain? Lord, would you help them to anchor every part of their life in Jesus? Lord, would you help them to draw near to you that you might draw near to them in this season and fill their hearts with a sense of your presence that's overwhelming. Fill their hearts with a sense of your nearness. Surround them, sustain them, and keep them in Jesus. Help them, Lord, to find peace in the midst of this pain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand with us with a benediction, please. The blessing tonight is going to, will come in response to a, a question asked by the Apostle Paul. It was a rhetorical question he asked in the book of Romans. His question was this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And brothers and sisters, receive the blessing of the answer. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. Brothers and sisters, go in his peace this week. Go in the knowledge that you can walk in Jesus throughout the course of this week. And may he bless you and be with you as you do. God bless you, church. Have a great week.